The scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there are certain sermons I really look forward to, and this is one of them. I've been looking forward to preaching this sermon. Uh, and we're going to talk today about Paul's personality. But if you notice in the bulletin, there's a little parentheses. And that really defines this sermon. Uh, this sermon is about one simple question. Was Paul a jerk? And that's what I want to talk about. Was Paul a jerk? Uh, and uh, I read a book in getting ready for the series called Paul Behaving Badly. And it's all these things that everybody says about Paul, about how he was a jerk and how he was a chauvinist and how he was all this stuff. And I want to wrestle today with, was Paul a jerk? Uh, so to start with, let me just read for you uh, some places where Paul sounds like a jerk, okay? Uh, there are actually a lot of them. Are we ready? Paul tells the Corinthians to imitate him. For example, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 11, 1. Sounds a little arrogant, right? Be like me. If In Philippians chapter 3, he says, If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Dude calls himself blameless under the law. A little bit arrogant, I think. Galatians says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Um, Paul says, you know, be like me. Maybe a little bit arrogant. He definitely gets into some fights. We know that he gets into this fight with Peter. We're going to talk about it a little bit. That's Kephas is another name for Peter. Uh, you got to have some guts to pick a fight with one of the original disciples. In fact, one of the three favorite disciples. And you want to not only pick a fight with him, but write about it in your letter. Okay. Um, Paul has a fight with Barnabas in Acts 15. And about whether to take John Mark on a journey. John Mark had previously bailed on them on a journey. And John Mark was related to Barnabas. So Barnabas said, let's give this guy another shot. And Paul said, absolutely not. And uh, uh, Luke describes it as a sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement. Basically, they didn't really talk much after that. And I'm sure if you read Paul enough, I wouldn't want to disagree with the guy. Right? And here's some other things where Paul sounds very harsh. He says to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He calls them fools, right? Uh, by the way, I, I have a dream to have a business someday, if anybody wants to invest with me. I would like to start a business taking some of these scriptures that you could never buy in the Christian bookstore and making products of them. Okay, so, oh, foolish Galatians on a coffee mug. Or think about some of these on a tea towel or on potholders. 
cross-stitch in a pillow. <laughs> Philippians 3, here's another one. Look out for the dogs. You Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about circumcision there. He's saying, look out for dogs. He calls his enemies dogs. Never made it in a Christian bookstore. Here's one that absolutely never made it onto the cross-stitch into a pillow. In Galatians 5, Paul is mad because there are people pushing uh, the, the new Christians in Galatia to follow the Jewish law. They were called the circumcision party. So they wanted the Jews to have to be circumcised and follow all the laws, eat, uh, don't eat bacon and do all that stuff. They wanted to make sure they followed laws. And here's what he said. But if I, brothers, still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Okay? Never made it on a coffee mug. Okay? Paul's point is, if circumcision makes you holy, all those people that are rousing up trouble, I wish they would become super holy. That's Paul's argument there. And if you're offended by that, I didn't write it. It's in the book. I'm going to talk more about Paul's view on slavery next week. Uh, but this week, I do want to wrestle with some of this where talks, Paul talks about women. Never made. Never made tea towels. Ready? And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of the God may not be reviled. 1 Timothy 2, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Never made the tea towels. Okay? And guys, don't cheer when I read these. You're sitting next to somebody... That'll hit you for that. <laughs> Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is, and is himself his Savior. Okay, Colossians 3. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14. As in all the churches of saints... The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Okay? You can see why this never got on a tea towel, right? <laughs> now, we're not even talking about how Paul can sometimes seem legalistic. He can seem like a killjoy, maybe even a bit racist at times. Um, what do we do with Paul? Was Paul a jerk? More importantly, it, what do we do with the fact that this stuff is in our Bible? Okay? I mean, think about it. We, we normally say when the scripture is read, we say, this is the word of the Lord. Can you imagine reading some of these passages? One of my professors at, at Pittsburgh Seminary would said one time that somebody read a scripture and they said, this is the word of the Lord? <laughs> this is important because lots of people have thought these things. And it also matters about how you read the Bible. And we live in a culture where uh, we are very sensitive to stuff we don't agree with. I don't know if you followed the news, but uh, Ellen DeGeneres took a bunch of heat this week. Did you see this? Because she was at a football game with George Bush. They're friends. They've known each other for a long time. But she took a lot of heat. How could you be friends with and sit at a football game with somebody that, that you disagree with? And, and she sort of said on her show, well, what do you mean? 
I, I, we're going to be kind to people that are different than us. But we're in such a culture where you get offended and you leave and you are in no relationship with each other. So it's important, I think, to wrestle with some of these kinds of passages so that we know how to deal with it. So let's consider if Paul was really a jerk. To begin, you've got to start with the understanding that Paul was not perfect. Okay? In this whole Bible, there's one perfect character. It's Jesus. Everything else, everybody else, is sinful. So let's not go into this expecting that Paul has to be perfect. Now, what that imperfection does for your view of the Bible may be a bigger question. Okay? Um, there are some people for whom the Bible has to be like handed down from God to Paul. Uh, but that's never been the Christian view. The Christian view has always been that Paul wrote letters that God inspired in some way. That Paul just wrote to Romans and that somehow God was speaking in the middle of that. Which means it's Paul's voice and it's God's voice. Fully human, fully divine. And if that's good enough for Jesus, I think that's probably going to be good enough for the Bible too. That the Bible is Paul's words and it's God's words somehow together. Now, it also means when we read Paul that we have to expect him in some ways to be a man of his times. Okay? Paul doesn't understand electricity. He doesn't understand the internet. He doesn't understand women's liberation or even the language of gender equality. He, Paul doesn't understand our definition of gender. He wouldn't even have thought that way. What would Paul have thought about women voting? You know what he would have thought? What's voting? There's nobody voted in Paul's day, right? So we have to, when we, when we are looking at a book that's 2,000 years old, okay, we have to judge that book based on when it was written, right? And a lot of the Bible is written far before Paul. So you have to go in what we would call a discipline of historical context. So if I'm going to judge Paul, I can't judge him based on my day. He doesn't live in my day. I've got to judge Paul based in his day. Not only that, I've got to understand the story behind what he's writing. Okay, we, this is part of the historical context. So sometimes Paul does seem harsh, but often Paul is writing to people that he knew. Okay, he spent over a year and a half in Corinth. Okay, he planted that church. He's been le giving letters back and forth to them. He knows those people. He knows Galatia. Okay, he, he calls these churches his children. When he writes to the church at Rome, he's never been there. And so he is very kind to them because he's trying to set up to visit them later, but he doesn't know them personally. Okay? But when he writes Galatia, it's like he's writing to his children, and there's a little bit of shame on you. You guys need to straighten up over there, right? Okay? You're talking to your own children. How many of you have done this? You, you're, you're, you have your kids, but you've been babysitting other kids, or your friends have friends over, right? You can talk differently to your kids than you can somebody else's kids. It's just not the same. Okay? And with Paul, sometimes that's the way. So, so he is a little bit harsher to Galatia and Corinth in particular because he's mad at those churches that he knows personally. But we also, when we read the Bible, have to read it within a literary context. Okay? I think one of the worst things that ever happened to the Bible was we put verses in it. You guys understand that Paul didn't write chapters and verses. right? Paul didn't say Romans 1 verse 4. Okay? Paul wrote a letter. Okay? He never meant for you to quote the letter in this chunk without understanding the whole letter. It was a letter. One of the worst things we did was he chopped it up and made it chapters and verses, and it, it somewhat made it so that instead of reading the whole book, we read like just this verse or this section. We never understand where it fits. This is so important with Paul because, for instance, when Paul writes about women being silent in the church, 
At another point in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about how when women prophesy in church, should they have their head covering on or off? Now, wait a minute. I thought they were supposed to be silent, right? Are they prophesying in sign language? What's going on there? Okay, Paul can't mean that women have to stay totally silent in the church because in a later, in another part of that same book, he argues about whether women, when they do speak and lead in church, have to have head coverings on or off. So you have to understand the historical context, but you also have to understand the larger literal context. The per- verses where Paul seems to be bragging, most of the time he's making a larger point. You go back and look those up. Paul gives this big list of all the good things he's done, and then he says, look, there's nothing compared to what Christ has done. His point is, I have some reason to brag about how I followed the law, and it was worthless. Okay? He's making this larger point, and you have to understand the larger point. When Paul is lifting himself up as an example, he's not saying just be exactly like me, but normally he's saying there's something about me that I want you to be paying attention to. Many, let's go back then to this bigger issue of women being silent in the church. Okay? Here's what we think is happening, and we can kind of piece this together from a number of things in Corinthians and other places. You know, in the Roman world, uh, women were supposed to stay silent in a lot of places. And most women couldn't read. A lot of men couldn't read. But definitely most women couldn't read, and they weren't educated the way men were. So for Paul to even say that women should be in church and should be listening is really pretty forward thinking. In the Roman world, there is sort of a a growing women's liberation movement at the time, but it's slowly growing and with some resistance. And what seems like is happening is in in worship, when they're talking about Jesus and when you're getting some, some teaching going on, there are then wives that have lots of questions because they've never been exposed to certain knowledge. Okay, they've never heard about these things that are being talked about. And so they're asking questions in the middle of church. And they're asking their husbands, they're asking the, the other people that are around them, they're asking even maybe the preacher. And Paul says it's a distraction. It's taking away from what everybody else needs to learn. And so what Paul encourages the Corinthians to do is that the husbands who know more about this stuff should be training up their wives at home with some of these, this basic info that they don't have. Okay. Now listen, when we read that, we think, how, how dare they keep women silent? But do you know what they would have read in the first century when Paul wrote these words? You mean you want women to learn? You mean you want husbands to teach their wives the stuff that they had access to? I mean, see, this this part that we see as so chauvinistic and so old-fashioned was really this huge leap forward. Many of these places that I read, I only read you a little bit about wives being subject to their husbands but I I could keep reading and you could look up any of these on your own what you would find is he also talks about husbands loving their wives and also loving them in a way like Jesus loved the church well Jesus died for the church Jesus sacrificed and gave everything for the church so we look back and we think oh how how, I don't maybe you're uncomfortable with it I don't really particularly like Paul's language of submission and subject Uh, when it comes to my wife but nobody in the first century was bothered by that what they were bothered by was you mean you want husbands to love their wives to sacrifice for their wives to actually train them up in the faith to teach them 
I mean, this is amazing, shocking in his day. We've got to be careful whenever we read the Bible that we're not seeing it through our eyes, but we've got to go back and to the best of our ability and try to see it through their eyes. Okay? And maybe Paul doesn't go as far as we would like to have. But a lot of you had parents and grandparents. Uh, you had grandmothers that didn't vote. Right? So, so some of that is very new to us. We may be a little bit shocked by it. But we also then, thinking literary context, we got to read Paul in some other places. Paul speaks of a number of women in ministry as his equal and with honor. He talks about Aquila and Priscilla both teaching Apollos and thanks them and sends them to teach in different places. Okay? It's Aquila and Priscilla. It's a husband-wife. But there's no mention that it's Aquila teaching and Priscilla passively listening, subjecting herself to her husband. No, they're both teaching together. He talks about Phoebe as a co-worker. And this is the big one. At the end of Romans, he talks about Junia, and he calls her a female apostle. Calls her an apostle. A woman, he calls an apostle. Okay? So it, you can't read these texts and say, well, Paul meant for women to never teach men, because there's all kinds of other places where clearly Paul is encouraging and, and celebrating the fact that Junia is an apostle. Now, maybe we wish Paul had said things a little differently. Maybe we wish that Paul had said men and women are really equal or that slaves should be set free. We're going to wrestle with that next week when we talk about the book of Philemon. But some of those things, if Paul had just said those, that's the only thing he would have ever said. I'm not sure, society, I'm not sure he was ready to say those things. I'm not sure society was really ready to hear those things. But think about this for a second. Think about how much the world has changed that you think the way you do. Okay, Think about how 99% of history would have looked at women very much the way Paul does, with very few exceptions. Okay, Most of history would have said that slavery is fine. Okay, Most of history would have understood those things. So what's different in you that you think that it's wrong today? that these ideas make you squirm a little bit. Something has changed. Something has happened in the way you believe, in what our world is willing to accept. I remember a few years ago, there were all these riots down in the Carolinas uh, related to race. And there were a number of people who, who were sort of white supremacy groups that got very public uh, in their demonstrations. And I remember the outrage in our country that there are still people like that. <laughs> yeah, but that's a change, right? Okay, a hundred years ago, it wouldn't have been no outrage. Plenty of people would have been like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, what has changed in us that we have moved forward? Well, a lot of the way we view people today is because Christians over the centuries have changed their view of people. They've started to say, oh, well, no, there are not lesser people and, and more worthy people. There are just people that are the children of God that deserve to be loved. It was early Christians that started some of the first hospitals that developed orphanages and adoptions. It was Christians, in a lot of cases, that fought for slavery, that fought for the rights of minorities and women. And so some of these verses from Paul have been really misused over the years. But part of the reason why you think the way you do and why you squirm a little bit at Paul's language is because Paul started something that has ended up with you thinking the way that you do. 
some kind of trajectory has happened where humanity views women differently and they view people of different races differently. And, and even though maybe Paul's words have been twisted to argue the other side of some of these issues, it's also because of Paul that we understand love the way we do and grace the way we do. That when Paul writes in Galatians that there's no more male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, it's taken humanity a long time to catch up to what Paul was saying. And sure, Paul could be rough around the edges. I would not have wanted to argue with Paul. But Paul also had all kinds of people around him, like Timothy, Titus, Apollo, Silas, and many others that would have called Paul friends, that worked alongside him, that he sent places, that he wrote letters to. And I also think that sometimes there's a place to offend others. Sometimes it's important to be strong. I think this moment with Peter is critical. Okay, Because here's Peter. It, it took the disciples a long time to come to the conclusion that Paul did that those laws didn't mean anything. And one of the main reasons why the disciples even came around to it was because God gave Peter a vision related to what you can and cannot eat. So here comes Paul. Uh, he comes to visit this church. Or comes Peter. He comes to visit this church. And he's eating with everybody. Okay, which means he's not eating kosher. He's just eating whatever they eat. But then when some other people come that they call the Judaizers or the circumcision party that want to make sure that everybody's following the rules, Peter, ashamed of the, to eat in front of those people, get, they, he steps up and gets away from the table. Okay, so he rejects these young Christians in favor of these law people. And what, what Paul understands is that's hypocrisy. Right? If you say this is okay, but then when those people come, you get away from the table, what is that? What are these believers going to think? In fact, you're questioning, for Peter, for Paul, Peter is questioning the very heart of the gospel. Is it grace or not grace? And if you're going to say it's not grace and you're going to go back and you're going to lead all these young believers astray, Paul is not going to put up with that. And Paul, I think, was right to, to fight with Peter. To oppose him to his face and write about, uh, write about it later to remind people that we don't go back on the gospel. We don't go back on the, the gospel of grace. This is not about works, and we are going to protect young believers. There's a time and a place to offend each other. There are times to take those stands. And Paul knew that. So was Paul a jerk? I don't think so. I think I could probably pull verses out that make him look like a jerk, but I think on the whole, Paul is not really a jerk. He, he is probably rough around the edges, a little blunt, okay? Not always have the tact, okay? You know people like this, right? Their heart's in the right place, but sometimes they overspeak or they overstep, or uh, I think maybe Paul was like that. I could, I could see that. But Paul is also the one who wrote some of the greatest works on grace and love that humanity has ever created. His work sparked revolutions that changed the world. It was Paul's work that got Martin Luther going. Okay? Paul's work that, that uh, inspires William Wilberforce to flight the slave trade in England. And so here's our job today. Our job today is to keep going back to this old book, this two to 3,500-year-old book, and keep finding those nuggets, finding the trajectory, finding the way that God is leading us today. And it takes a little bit of work because we're not reading it 3,000 years ago. We're reading it now. We, we've got to do the work of understanding the context. And we've got to read. It's not enough to read verses. 
everybody. You got to read letters. You got to read books. You got to compare Paul's writings to understand what he's really getting at. You got to do the same with Jesus. You got to do the same with Isaiah. It doesn't matter where you are in a book. We got to do the hard work of understanding that book because we have to parse out, we have to pull out those things that mean something for us today. Now, so, so my prayer for us is that we would, not in every way, but maybe in many ways, we would be imitators of Paul as well. That we would live out our lives boldly. We would live these ideals of Jesus, of love and grace for our world today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.